This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon. You are here live with Dr. Jeff. We're your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Best with Dr. Jeff. We're here for you. We're here for your pets. We're here to answer questions. And it's a freebie for you. Got free advice. <laughs> what could be bad about free? So um, anyway, just uh, a number of ways to get a hold of us. If you have any questions about your pets, anything you want to talk about animal in the animal world, I'm here. I'm game for it. Uh, area code 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Eight 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 two. Better way to join us here live, however, is through Google Hangouts. Just log on to Pet Life Radio, go scroll down on shows to ask the vets with Dr. Jeff, and you will have a Google Hangouts link waiting there for you. And that'll put you live right here with me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, where we can talk about, as I said, anything for your pets. And um, you know, this is and I've, I've said it before, well, something that I'm working on is getting closer, but they're out there, and that is telemedicine, telehealth. And just like in humans. In human medicine, I think 75% of practices offer some type of telemedicine in the human world. And eight and a half million Americans used, again, some sort of telemedicine app or telemedicine service last year, 2018. So kind of tells you that it's a growing field. And interestingly, the rules are a little bit different on the human side. It's actually easier on the human side than it is on the veterinary side. But uh, those are details we're going to get through. But uh, if you have something called a VCPR, which is a veterinary client-patient relationship, then you can actually, your pet can be diagnosed and treated. The vet, your vet taking a phone call can actually call a pharmacist in, get the medication if they have a relationship with you and your pet. So that's very important in, on the veterinary side. Otherwise, they can, the veterinarian you talk to could suggest, could recommend, could tell you what you know, he or she thinks is going on and what some of the solutions might be. Those are the key words, think and might, but they can't be definitively a diagnosis. Anyway, in the news, oh, by the way, I should add, I am in a pretty good mood today. I'm always in a good mood, but I mean, a better mood. My Rams won last night. They, uh, they beat the Cowboys 30 to 22. I was at the game. It was a lot of fun. So uh, now we just, I guess, it'll be interesting to see whether they, the Rams are going to meet the Saints again if they, uh, if they beat the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's what's exactly what's going to happen. Otherwise, it'd be very interesting otherwise. So a couple things. Uh, in the news just to talk about. We've talked about this over, you know, over last year, the new influenza virus vaccine. It actually is a bivalent, which means it takes care of the H3N2 and the H3N8 strains of the influenza virus. And most of the times you talk about, you know, if it's recommended, if it's insisted, then uh, I guess, you know, you can go ahead and do it. We're not seeing a ton of cases. However, it is interesting that one of the the recommendations now are, and, and many of these facilities, which we'll talk about, are recommending it now as well, and not a bad idea. Not that it's necessarily deadly, but it does cause pretty severe respiratory infection. So any kind of like a, a doggy daycare facility, a dog park, a groomer, a boarding facility. So if your dog frequents any of these types of businesses, if you go to the dog park every day, or the agility classes, or doggy daycare, boarding, grooming, it would be, well, first of all, a lot of them are actually now requiring it. That's how I ended up using it in the first place because a number of my clients were calling and they were regulars at these doggy daycare facilities and they started insisting, requiring that they have the influenza vaccine. So I went ahead and ordered. I ordered a tray. The trays come in 25 doses. Once I had it, I think I went through that tray in about three weeks. 
So more and more and more establishments are requiring it. And I think it's just a good idea to have. It's better to play it safe if you're putting your pet at risk. I'm always, when it comes to vaccine, it's always about the risk versus the benefits. And sometimes if the risk is great of your pet getting a certain or being exposed to a certain infection, a certain virus, then for sure it's worth getting the vaccine. If the risk of the vaccine itself outweighs the benefit, because they don't do it. For example, in one of my personal choices, it comes to coronavirus. I do not recommend it. Coronavirus in dogs, it's like a 24-hour stomach flu. It's not deadly, but you're just adding another vaccine. And we know that any vaccine is not without some type of potential risk. So since they're getting so many other vaccines on a regular basis, I, you know, as you know, I like the titers. I do a lot of titering for the distemper parvo in lieu of giving the vaccine. I am not a big fan of blanket leptospirosis as part of the distemper. However, if a dog does a lot of hiking or is in areas where lepto is prevalent, then of course, yes, you do it. So this is where you speak to your veterinarian. Very important to come up with what is the likelihood of a dog getting a certain disease or a cat getting a certain disease, as I mentioned, here in Los Angeles and California, actually, rabies vaccine for cats is not required. Well, how are my six indoor cats going to be subjected to rabies or feeling leukemia virus for that fact? So therefore, I don't recommend vaccinating. I don't vaccinate my cats against either of those two. So it's very important to sit down with your veterinarian, come up with a game plan based on logic not based on a manufacturer's recommendation, I mean the, va- the vaccine manufacturer, not based on what you read, what you saw at Dr. Google. Talk to your veterinarian. What is best? Every pet is an individual. So make sure you make the decisions based on the individuality of your pet, your lifestyle, your pet's lifestyle, and take it from there. Here's another microchip triumph. We love microchip triumphs. As you know, I'm a big fan of microchipping. That This dog named Jasper was going for, okay, check this out, eight years eight years. He was lost from his home in Louisiana and somehow ended up in Houston where a family apparently adopted him. And then they they turned him in to a shelter because they were moving or whatever the reason. And this shelter for the first time actually scanned the dog and found out that yes, he had an owner and reunited with his owners in Louisiana eight years later. That's a great story. What bothers me is when they found the dog in the first place, you, don't you think don't you think they would have taken him to the vet where they brought this adult dog to the veterinarian for the very first time? Oh, God, that's great. Where'd you adopt him from? We didn't know. We found him. Don't you think that vet should have taken the scanner out right there? I mean, in day one or day two? I mean, it blows my mind that for eight years, this dog was not scanned. It was clearly astray until it ended up at a shelter in Houston, Texas from Louisiana. So anyway, that's good news. Jasper is back home. And what the story was saying is that Jasper, it was almost like the eight years never happened. He was back into his old self, immediately reacted to the family, to the other dogs. Apparently they live on some kind of farm. They have four dogs and and 11 cats and and geese and all the, you know, sorts of other animals. And Jasper fit right in. That's really a cool story. United Airlines joined Delta Airlines on this one. I'm telling you, making it more and more difficult to fly with your pets. But animals younger than four months will not be allowed in the cabin. And the reason for that, they say, is because usually by the less than four months, they haven't completed their vaccine series, which is kind of true because you end it at four months at 16 weeks of age. So they are, are worried about the potential exposure. They don't want any kind of hassles because they weren't completely vaccinated or giving something to one of the other dogs. Also, they're banning emotional support dogs or animals on flights longer than eight hours. And the reasons for that, as they say, are obvious. 
I like the terminology I read in this article. They don't want to say it because the dogs are pooping all over the or got to go pee, right? On the play. They say they're onboard incidents. There's a large number of onboard incidents, which is a really nice way to say it. So now anything over eight hours, these animals will not be allowed. So you might have to start making other plans or break up your flights. I don't know how you're going to do that. But uh, if you're flying, for example, no more uh, like direct flights. You're going from LA to, to Heathrow, for example. You're going to have to stop in New York. So uh, if you want to, if you want to take advantage of flying with your pets, that's you got you got to pay for it some way. Uh, a story on pet insurance, and as we know, pet insurance is nothing like people insurance as far as numbers of people versus pets, or pets I should say versus people that have it. In the veterinary world, it's guesstimated that only two percent of pets are insured, which means ninety eight percent aren't. And the recommendations here, and this was done by the uh, economists and the pet world, and their consumer experts, they just make the following recommendation. It's very important to compare the insurance companies and the premiums and what they're offering. Because the concern there is that if you add up the premiums and then factor in the deductibles, it might be better off, they say. To, I mean, you really need to evaluate it. I'm not, I'm not paying one way or the other. That it might, it might be more than what you'd be spending. Of course, when you think about how insurance companies make their money, they're banking that you're not going to use what you're putting in. So just food for thought. I'm not, I'm not saying one way or the other, but I will recommend this. If you do your homework and you are starting to decide that maybe pet insurance is not the best for you, I do have a solution that I've recommended to my clients. It's going to take some discipline. And, and that is you can set up an account in Bowser's name. Okay, so just like you would a premium, a monthly premium, every month you would auto, you know, deposit the amount, whatever it is, say 50 bucks a month, say 70, whatever it is, let's say 50, just makes it easy. So that means you got $600, all right, after the first year in Bowser's account. And you can do it in an interest bearing, you get what, 1%, whatever it is, savings account. And then by year two, you have 1200 maybe 1250 whatever it is. By year three, you got 18 maybe 1900 So don't use it for, for basic pet care. Use it for, it's saved for the rainy day. So let's say three years, four years down the road, there's an incident, something that happens, then you have that money put away for Bowser. It's Bowser's account. You couldn't touch it. It was automatic. Bowser has to sign for it. Uh-huh. But the whole goal is that it is there for you to use for Bowser. Now, What's the beauty of this is that if you don't need it, if you never have that catastrophic event, guess what? It's still yours. Well, it's actually vouchers. You have to ask them for permission, but it's yours. So the insurance companies obviously are shelling out money, but they also make a lot of money. So just FYI, something to keep in mind. And um, But the, the, the goal here is to just do your homework and uh, take a little time. Next up, that because of advances in veterinary care and veterinary medicine, and nutrition, things that we're learning and educating our pet parents over the years. Pets, the good news, they're living longer. But what we are starting to see more of because of the extended lifespans that we are providing for our pets is we're starting to see more and more cognitive dysfunction. Call it doggy Alzheimer's. We are seeing it, dogs and or even cats that are just sort of more of a despondency. So they don't really maybe know where they are. You might see them just circling, walking aimlessly, not recognizing you, um, walking stuck in a corner, all sorts of different ways that dogs and cats might start exhibiting signs of some sort of cognitive dysfunction. And um, 
just know that speak to your veterinarian about it. If you're noticing any of these types of symptoms, because again, there are supplements available. There are brain foods available. There's certain exercises you can do, environmental enrichment things you can do. So it's almost like people. So there are certain things you can do if you catch it early, start working. So again, it's not a lost battle necessarily, but um, something that to your advantage, to your pet's advantage, to the relationship advantage that you want to maintain with them throughout their lives, even if they become somewhat cognitively dysfunctional, it's something to keep in mind. Anyway, don't go away. When we come back, we're going to talk about ears. I had a really interesting case actually this week. I realized that it's something that should be discussed. So um, when we come back, we're going to talk about ears, recognizing ear disease, what to do about it, how fast to act, and what are some of the solutions you have or your veterinarian has to uh, help your pets with really bad ear problems. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Today's episode is sponsored by Hanover Square Press and the secret language of cats. How to understand your cat for a better, happier relationship by Suzanne Schatz. Have you ever wondered what your cat is saying? In the secret language of cats, Schatz offers a crash course in cat phonics to help you crack the cat code. Perfect for the fans of the lion in the living room and the inner life of animals. The secret language of cats by Suzanne Schatz is available for purchase today. Does your dog itch, scratch, stink, or shed like crazy? Come to Dynavite for help. Order a 90-day supply of Dynavite. Dynavite for life. Pick up two tubes of Doggo Suds. Get the third tube free. Peppermint, tea tree, lavender, Doggo Sud shampoo. Made with all-natural coconut, jojoba, aloe. Great for healthy skin and soft, shiny coats. But no itchy, harsh chemicals. Lather up, rinse away. Try Doggo Suds. Buy two, get one free. At Dynavite.com. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And before the break, we had mentioned that I want to talk about ears. You know, they are obviously essential organs. A dog's hearing, for example, cat's hearing is extremely sensitive, very acute. It's way better than their sight, actually. Uh, their sense of hearing, their sense of smell far outcompetes their ability to see, at least see clearly and, and uh, acutely. So, you know, one of the things that I worry about is ear disease is very, very common. And, you know, we can see ear disease for a number of reasons. And in the healthy ear, basically, there's a, a nice balance between the bacteria and the yeast that they kind of keep each other in check. When that balance is disrupted, typically the yeast went out. And I would say most of the ear infections that we see are yeast infections we call malassezia otitis. You see a black kind of a waxy exudate. But though the ears smell, the dogs will scratch, shake their head, which are clearly signs that the pinna, which is the ear flap on the inside, can be red and inflamed. But though more common, they're usually not as severe. When the severity increases with bacterial ear infections, one really bad bug is called Pseudomonas. And that's where you get this, it's more of a lighter brown discharge, very smelly, 
very, very painful and tender to the ear. And if you are one that has been carefully trained by somebody, a veterinarian, a groomer, how to successfully, safely clean ears, you'll notice a really kind of stringy, it's really, it's, they're, they're both pretty disgusting, don't get me wrong. The pseudomonas is really bad. The key are when it comes to ears, first of all, recognition. As I said, some of the signs that your pet might have an ear problem are going to be scratching, obviously, head shaking, rubbing the ear against like the floor, rubbing on a wall, carpeting, etc. If you lift up the ear, you will actually see the changes. The, the pink, light pink part inside the ear is going to be much redder. The skin is going to often be thickened, almost like alligator skin. In fact, what I want you to do now, not right now, but certainly today, soon, start looking at your dog, your healthy, normal dog's ear. Because in order to know when it's no longer healthy or when it's abnormal, you need to know what normal is. So just get a really good look at your dog's, your pet's, your cat's ears to see what is normal or not. We've talked about, oh, several weeks ago, we talked about hematomas, which is that huge blood blister that they get probably from an ear infection. Some of the culprits that would cause this imbalance in the first place, as I mentioned, uh, is going to be some sort of allergy. So we see something called allergic otitis, and it could be uh, pollen allergies. Can cause, in fact, it's one of those organs that it can come either, we see ears can react to food allergens, they can react to pollen allergens, contact irritants. So when it comes to ears, it could be one of many causes that can um, initiate an ear problem, ear infection. But here's the issue. You re- when you see your dog uncomfortable, clearly uncomfortable, you lift the ear, you see the problem, it is critical to have the ears checked right away. Early treatment, early diagnosis is the key. So, and here's the problem. When left alone, the ear canal, remember that just look at, think of the anatomy of a dog's ear. So you have a, what's called a vertical ear canal which is, you know, maybe could be depending on the size of the dog, obviously, but an inch to two and even three inches long. Then it takes a turn, not quite 90 degrees, but, you know, maybe 130 degrees down into a short horizontal canal. That is all we have is a short horizontal canal. So when you think of the, the likelihood because of moisture, because of darkness, because of any kind of problem in, in the ear, then you can clearly see why the dog's or cat's ear is so much more prone to a problem because of the pure anatomy. And then you take a dog with those heavy ears, you know, the retrievers, the newfies, the, the great Pyrenees, I mean, the bloodhounds. So what happens is when that flop, that ear flap is down, the pin is down, then the anatomy and is even worse because now you have even more darkness, more moisture, which is a better environment actually for the bacteria and the yeast. So these things all combine, not to mention things like springtime. In fact, I should tell you, I just took a foxtail out of a dog's ear in January. Now, what's a foxtail? Foxtail is a little plant on, and they become huge problems during spring and a little less so during the summer, but it's definitely warm weather. You see they're, they're dry, and they can only travel typically one direction, and that's usually in. So a dog gets in between the toes, up the butt. In the mouth, I've taken 50 out of a dog's tonsils before, and uh, but ears, they love ears. And when you see a dog just clearly uncomfortable, clearly shaking, it's very important that the ears are checked, whether it's going to be from an infection, from a foxtail, or another type of foreign body. So don't ignore it, and don't start cleaning your dog's ears out by yourselves until you are shown the proper way to do it. And there are proper ways, and um, you need typically a good ear cleaner. You need someone how to teach you how to massage the ear. So too often people are doing it improperly, not getting to the meat of it.
Now, here's the problem. The problem is that when left unattended, the ear, besides the, this extreme discomfort, I, I mean extreme discomfort for your pet, the canal itself over time with this chronic infection, chronic inflammation that's been left untreated, right, is now the cartilage is becoming hardened and it's going to harden like bone. And that's where we start having real problems. Once that starts to happen, the progression of disease speeds up dramatically, which is why it is so important to have your pet's ears checked more regularly, especially if you have one of those breeds prone to ear problems. Number one on my list is going to be the Cocker Spaniel. But I mean, a lot of breeds, the Retrievers, as I said, Sharpays, Chow Chows, there are a lot of dogs that will have, you know, chronic ear problems because of just the thickness of the skin around anything that might occlude the entrance, the opening of that vertical ear canal can predispose them to really severe ear infections. So the problem is that once you get that hardening, you're left with mostly just surgical options. And the surgical options are somewhat limited. If you catch it really early, there's something called an LER, which is a lateral ear resection. That is obviously something that has to be done. Basically, it just opens up the vertical canal and sort of takes the the outside of the skin away. And so now you can have an exposed vertical canal, easier to clean, easier to evaluate, et cetera. Next up comes the vertical canal ablation, my particular favorite. And I pretty much do that almost all the time. I like it better than the vertical, than the LER, the lateral ear resection. And that's where we do a procedure that removes the entire canal, vertical canal, and we basically have an opening. We recreate an opening about whatever it is. It's, it's a one and a half to three inches down, depending on the size of the dog. And all they have now is a very short, fairly open horizontal canal. So basically, we make the canine ear look more like a human ear. The flap is still there. They can hear. It just eliminates much of the source of problem in these dogs with chronic disease. Then comes the biggest of them all, which really we try not, we try to get to them before we have to do this. And that is where there's a complete blockage. The entire vertical and horizontal canals are completely destroyed and infected. And that is called a total ear ablation, where this is usually typically done by a surgeon, a board certified veterinary surgeon. I'm sure there are some GPs out there that have done them. I don't. I stop at the vertical canal ablation. And and that's where you not only you have to go all the way, you remove the entire canal. And actually, by this point, there's usually severe infection in the bulla. And therefore, we have to also perform, well, the surgeon performs what's called a bulla osteotomy. And when they go into that bulla, which is the total inner part of the ear, oh my God, they get the, the pus that comes out of there is absolutely disgusting. And they often have to put a drain in as well. That is a major, major, major did I say that enough times? Surgery. And after that, of course, you're uh, removing the ability for the dog or cat to hear. I've never seen it in a cat. I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure it has to be done occasionally. But dogs are notorious, especially Cocker Spaniels. So take home lesson is check your pet's ears out regularly. If you know that they've had history of ear problems, stay on top of it. Get them professionally looked at, cleaned on a regular basis, or make sure you have been trained and taught how to do it properly, and do it very often, a few times a week if needed. 
and also learn to recognize when there's a problem. You want to get to it right away. There are many, many treatments out there, oftentimes, depending on severity and how common and frequent the infections are, your veterinarian is going to want to do what's called a culture and make sure that the medicine using is correct. As they get worse, the dogs will be treated both topically as well as parentally. We're going to have to get with whether it's oral or injectable medications, depending on what is cultured, and even sometimes uh, non-steroidals or steroidals, uh, anti-inflammatories, to reduce the inflammation. Sometimes the ears are so inflamed that the topical medication or even the oral medication really can't get to work. So the, the, the inflammation has to be treated, and it's one of the few times that steroids are used in the face of an infection, because in order for the medication to work, we have to get some um, anti-inflammatory property. So anyway, a lot to handle. Ears, I'm telling you, there's nothing. Dogs are so uncomfortable with bad ears. So make sure if you have a problem, been having a problem, see your veterinarian, get some help, learn how to do the right thing, and you'll, it'll, be, it'll be easier on you, but most importantly, keep your pets much more comfortable. So we have time for now. Thanks for joining me here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And we'll be back. I have a two back-to-back conferences coming up. I'll be next week at VMX, which is the Veterinary Medical Expo um, in Orlando. And then I go to the Colorado Veterinary Medical Association along with the American Animal Hospital Association annual winter meeting in Vail. So um, I will be gone. But if you need to get a hold of me, I will definitely answer questions. Reach me at Dr. Jeff, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. And you can always see what I'm doing. Keep me, uh, keep in touch with me on Instagram at, at Dr. Jeff Werber. W-E-R-B-E-R. It's one word, D-R-J-F-F. W-E-R-B-E-R. And we will be back soon. See you in a couple of weeks. Have a great week. Let's Talk Pets. Every week on demand. Only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>